Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show with me, Michael Tinkster. We are on a mission to share what Maverick leaders know and do to build businesses that deliver strong results and positive impact on people, society, and the planet. Thank you to our brand partner, BizSimply, for sponsoring this episode. BizSimply is the all-in-one workforce management software that enables your business to become more efficient and profitable. The software designed and built by hospitality experts to enhance the way shift-oriented operators manage their business, optimize their entire people journey, and making every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, how we grow, and how we serve our customers. Together, we wanted to share strategies and tools to make the industry thrive long-term. For me, having a different background is also helpful. And, you know, there's a lot of people in the restaurant that also have come from different backgrounds in terms of haven't started in food and have come into it later, mixed with those that have. So it creates this really interesting biodiverse ecosystem, I guess. And I think that's a really great way of looking at it. I love the analogy of, of a farm. Start with really good soil health. You know, have different crops that some that have got deeper, you know, nitrogen fixing roots, some that have really deep roots to really retain that moisture in the soil. And then you're looking at what crops go best next to others. So some can deter pests, some can attract other things. How can you ensure that you've got food all year round? How can you weather the storm, the things that are uncontrollable like the weather? It's the only little functioning ecosystem. This is Chantelle Nickerson, a multi-award winning chef, owner of a Preciousy restaurant in Mayfair, which recently got a Michelin green star. She's one of the leading female voices in UK hospitality. And recently, she's been named one of the top 100 influential women in hospitality. Chantelle is an advocate for seasonality, sustainability, and championing a veg-forward cooking through both the restaurant and her cookbook, Planted. And if you love to cook like I do, and especially plant-based, this is a book you need to get. I can promise you that. I have for a long time wanted Chantelle to join me on the show. And I was super excited when we finally got the opportunity to sit down and talk about our shared passions for cooking, sustainability, circular economy, and how to build great team culture. We also talk about how to navigate the current challenges of the industry and how to solve these, and how you, at the same time, build a business as a force for good. We also hear about Chantelle's entrepreneurial journey and how she managed the ups and downs as a founder. If you want to get more insights on what Maverick leaders do and know, as well as more backstage info on the show, sign up for the weekly newsletter, Maverick Talk. Five minutes each week to change your leadership and business, maybe forever. Find the link in the show notes on hospitalitymavericks.com. I can promise you this conversation is super inspiring and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Enjoy. So today we're going to be talking about plants and uh, for people that uh, normally listening to the show know that I'm quite obsessed with plants as well. I'm not saying this is the only solution to change the world, but actually the way we eat can actually change the world, I believe. And my guest today I would say also believe that, um, and she will confirm that in, in a second, but I'm very much think we're very aligned on that side. And, and actually it took me, uh, 
you know, Chantel, who is our guest today, has been on my list for quite a while, but I didn't know how to find, I could have reached out to her, but I always liked that somebody else vouches for what we do here. And finally, we found a, a way through our former guest, Domini, uh, from uh, from the show, and, uh, and she was so helpful to put us together. So I'm very excited about that we're going to be talking about, you know, your journey today, Chantel, but also how we can change the world by the way we eat. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. So for people who doesn't know about you, Chantel, and, and your incredible journey and your, you know, that you're extremely obsessed about plants and you think we should eat <laughs> more of them, uh, can you talk a bit about the incredible journey you've been on and actually where you are today and what you're working on now? Gosh, um, how long have you got? No. Um, so I think let's start, let's start at the beginning. So as you can probably hear, I did not grow up here. Um, I grew up in New Zealand, um, surrounded by beautiful produce, beautiful scenery, um, and also being a very small, isolated country, eating a lot of seasonal food. And I think that's where... My love for produce, my love for, um, I guess you say plants, probably probably stems from. Um, so I always loved food, loved eating it, loved cooking it from a very 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 young age, and but didn't ever consider it a career path. Um, so finished school, high school, and decided that I didn't really know what I wanted to do so I thought I'd do something that was kind of quite broad so I went to university to do a law and it was called commerce back then degree um, and that was where I, I started I guess after after high school partway through that I needed a job to be able to fund my my studies um, and I wanted to do something that was different to what I was studying. I wasn't particularly enamored with what, <laughs> what I was studying, to be honest. So I thought well, if I go and do something that I do enjoy, then hopefully that's also, you know, kind of a killing two birds with one stone to get an income and do something, learn something new. So went into a local cafe in the city that I was uh, studying in and just said to them, look, I have no experience, but I really love to cook. Um, I'd really like a job and here's my CV. I'm just going to leave this with you to which they replied that they were about to put out an ad for a weekend cook. So they were happy to to give me a go if that's if I was happy to to jump on in. So I guess that's where the cooking professional cooking um, began many many years ago. So I ended up cooking pretty much full time whilst I was studying. I then went on to work in a in a small restaurant and finished my studies and just kept cooking because I just loved the I guess I loved the energy of the kitchen and just being part of part of something and then my mother said to me well you've kind of spent quite a long time <laughs> and quite a lot of money in uh these degrees that you've now got so just go and give them a go like if it's not for you it's not for you but you won't know unless you try to which I responded as the dutiful daughter and did just that. So I went and started working um, in the law field, for the law and banking really, um, for about a year and a half. But throughout that time, still dabbled a little bit in, in the cooking and actually entered a competition 
which was uh, ironically <laughs> run by Gordon Ramsay and actually managed to get to the final of that competition, um, at which point I was then offered a job at the Savoy Grill by Josh Emmett, who was the head chef of the Savoy Grill at that time, um, also a fellow Kiwi, and basically said to me, well, whenever you come to London, there's a job for you. So I thought that was far too good an opportunity to turn down. So 18 and a half years ago, I, I kind of jumped on a plane, thought I'd come for two years, give it a go. And that was when I, yeah, moved moved to London all those all those years ago. And then you started in the Savoy. Started at the Savoy Grill, yes, started in pastry. Um was there for about a year and a half, then moved over to what was in Patrice at the Barclay Hotel. Um, was there for about, oh gosh, six or so years, and then decided that I wanted to do something a bit more. So I actually then came kind of out of the kitchen and opened um, what was known then as the Gilbert Scott Restaurant in St Pancras um, as general manager. So I opened that in 2011, then stuck with Doing a little bit of little bit of kitchen work, but mainly kind of ops um, and running running the restaurants to then open uh, Treadwells in 2014 um, in an operational role. But then six months after opening, went back into the kitchen um, in the as an interim measure, but then never never came back out. Um, and then obviously lots of things happened with COVID and everything. And I decided that I really wanted to open somewhere that was small and was a bit more purpose-led in terms of um, my ethos and, and my my thoughts about food. So opened a press city just over a year ago, April, 2023. And here we are today. A press city, what did that, well, why that name? Because that was the one of the things I was trying to Google as I was preparing for this, and I wanted to hear your version. <laughs> so I wanted a name that symbolised regeneration, but regeneration is quite a clunky word, and I looked it up in different languages and just couldn't really find something that that kind of suited. And then I happened to stumble across apricity, which actually means the warmth of the winter sun. So for me, that symbolises regeneration, rejuvenation, and joy, which is what I wanted wanted the restaurant to be. And you have like, um, you know, you go on your website and you you read uh, other things you have been, been writing or been interviewed around. You talk a lot about, you know, you have this mantra around food is joy, food is memory, food is cohesive, food is life. How did that come together? And where did that come from? I think it's... it's... I think part of it is full circle from from growing up, as I mentioned before, um, and just being surrounded by amazing food, being also surrounded. My um, aunt and uncle had a stone fruit orchard, so it was really I was kind of exposed at a very young age as to how food is grown, produced, um, the challenges that, that come with that and the hard work that goes into it, but then also the amazing taste of, you know, fresh Freshly picked, sun ripened peaches, nectarines, apricots. It just you just can't can't beat it. So, I think for me, it's very much been that common thread of running through that it is, you know, at a, at a base level, yes, we need we need food to survive, right? But then moving on from that, it's very much something that we enjoy 
It's very much something that connects all of us. And it's very much something that can be, you know, is just can evoke a lot of memories, can evoke a lot of joy and can also, yeah, bring people together in a way that that nothing else really can. Um, and something that also then I think when you look delve further into that, it's very much looking at to ensure that people have that same same access to it that I guess I, you know, have the privilege of both as a child and then also now as an adult. And I love that thing when you have access to it. It should be a human right that we all could get natural healthy food but that's that's not where we are but that's definitely the the vision that we need to work with and then you talk about something people come together around because i think like we are on such a discourse on so many subjects and i think if it's like you know religion or worldviews or brexit or pandemic like there's been so many discourses where actually i think you say something really interesting that actually food and meals meal times is actually where we can actually come together everybody without actually having you know any challenges of because we can talk around meals as well and we need to talk to solve our differences and actually the meal in a way in my view often put a bit of a put a bit a bit of a what do you call a rest on the differences because we can start talking about the meal and what we like and we don't like it's a bit of a mediator in a way, isn't it? I guess, yeah. It kind of acts as that um, that that sense of bringing people to the same to a common ground. And how have that philosophy then now evolved into your new restaurant venture? How has that do? You, how do you have that impacted the way you done the restaurant? The way you think about sourcing? We think that I think that's the really interesting because this is like your, as I see, it, the full blown. Uh, you know, come to life version of that vision philosophy. Yeah, it's very much it in practice versus being being a philosophy. It's actually in practice now, um, and I think it's very much looking at it's kind of looking at the three hundred and sixty approach to to food and to to restauranting. I guess because it looks at um, you know number one is is the people that are involved in it, and that's the team but it's also the guests, but it's also the suppliers that work with it. And it's everyone that kind of is involved in a restaurant, which is, you know, the spider's web is huge of any of any restaurant. Um, so it's very much looking at, at how we work, who we work with, how those relationships are formed, but also trying to work in a more circular way. So rather than having kind of linear relationships with suppliers um, or team or guests, it's very much trying to, to look at that, circles to say well how can we close that loop how can we support you how can you support us rather than just being a supply and demand you know straight line how can we actually turn that into a circle that we support each other and that we can do do better things together and then I think if you look at the sourcing as well it's very much in in terms of you know what are the things that our suppliers that we like working with um struggle to to sell things like perhaps you know as an example offal that so how can we then take that which allows them to sustain their business financially but also in terms of minimizing any waste how can we then take that turn into something delicious that we can also then you know in a way subliminally educate our guests that actually offal can be delicious or certain things can be delicious it's just in the way that you actually prepare them 
so it's very much it's it's kind of a yeah I mean as as corny as it sounds it is very much a journey um and very much different things happen along that journey and different curveballs come at us different paths lead us along different ways but it's very much about trying to trying to have a net positive impact and I don't mean that in terms of um I think one of my one of my bugbears is this kind of carbon tunnel vision that we talk about um because I just think that there's so many other things that we need to be factoring in um and some of those things naturally will reduce carbon Therefore, we don't necessarily need to look at that as the BL end or it's actually looking at everything that surrounds that. So it's very much saying how can we have a net positive impact and whether that is through reducing um, our waste, whether it's through increasing the joy we bring to people, um, whether it's through encouraging people to come into the industry. I think all those things, you know, it's very, very multifaceted. And how have, you know, building the, the, the philosophy you've probably done over the many years of, of cooking, I guess, and going back and often visiting your, your childhood. And there's lots of, in my own world, that comes from how my mom and dad ran restaurants and how they believed in the whole supplier, very close to the supplier, could almost go out and touch the cow before it ended on the plate. Um, but how, how had that also, you know, that journey, but also then, studying law and actually worked in law banking have you seen that you're taking some positives out of that because it seemed like it was some a world you're escaping a bit but have you seen the positive of that as now running restaurant businesses because often people come directly into the restaurant industry either they're born into it or they they get as part of their education but never actually practice what they study yeah i think it's i think it's you know you can take something from every experience you have in life can't you and i think for me i guess the you know, the organizational skills or the, the business skills, you know, being able to read a contract, those sort of things are, are very handy when you're running a restaurant, when you're running any business. Um, and I think to then be able to, you know, keep it within that circle rather than having to rely on many, many different people. Actually, if you can rely on people that are very much in that line of thought um, in terms of people that are working in the restaurant, that's, for me, that's, a better way of a, a better use of a resource. Um, so for me to be able to do those, have those skills to bring to the table helps, I guess, others to be able to focus on what they, what they need to do in their roles. And also then how can we, you know, we're kind of constantly thinking as a team about how we can, how we can improve, how we can do things better. How can we reduce, um, you know, the use of something? How can we increase, our, you know, the kind of, as I mentioned before, that kind of net positive impact. How can we be more positive in our impact? And so for me, having a different background is also helpful. And, you know, there's a lot of people in the restaurant that also have come from different backgrounds in terms of haven't started in food and have come into it later, um, mixed with those that have. So it creates this really interesting kind of little biodiverse ecosystem, I guess, whereas, you know, and I think that's a really great way of looking at it as if we are looking at a restaurant in terms of you know I love the analogy of, of a farm so you, know, you need to start with really good soil health you need to plant your you know have different crops that some that have got deeper you know nitrogen fixing roots some that have really deep roots to kind of really retain that kind of moisture in the soil and then you're looking at what crops go best next to others so some can deter pests some can attract other things how can you ensure that you've got kind of so, you know there's food all year round how can you 
weather the storm, the things that are uncontrollable, like the weather. Um, It's, yeah, it's its own little functioning ecosystem. I love that. I never heard it in that way, but I totally, I'll wait on you in that journey because like if if one thing we need to fix in farming is that the soil health, which is a totally different conversation because that's actually decides the quality of the food we we we're able to put on the on our plates in general but what makes you or your new venture a pretty what, what makes it stand out what is like different from any other restaurant there's a number of a number of differences um some of them are more practical some of them are more i guess um relational but i think just looking at yeah, I mean, where do I start? <laughs> I think if we look at the, for me, I was really intent on having an operation that was only five days a week from a mental health perspective, really, um, and mainly my own in terms of having an operation that was going, you know, kind of seven days a week. It's very hard. I find it very hard to to switch off um, and to have that, I guess, my own regeneration or rejuvenation so for me that was really important and that also for the team that one of those days was was a weekend day so a Sunday so that we could they could you know spend time with friends or family that also had that you know a lot of majority the majority of the world works on a on a kind of Monday Friday basis so if we can have a little bit of that you know half of that then that's for me that was something that was really important so that's one of the the things, I guess, um, in terms of actually the way the fit out was done. Very much working in a circular fashion um, with David Chenery from OS Object Space Place, who designed it for us with the yeah the intent of trying to repurpose as much as possible from the strip out. Also trying to use as much recycled material as possible, and really trying to be as efficient as we could be you know, from, from day dot really. And then into the actual operation itself. So things like we, we don't use any cling film. We don't use any, we minimize anything single use. Um, and it's only if it actually, you know, is a necessity that we can't get by without. Um, we also have the mentality that we don't, anything that is edible, we, we don't throw in the bin. So we find a, a way to use it. And then from, even things like, you know, water and energy, we don't, we're, we're conscious of, you know, running taps or using too much water and things that we can then, um, that then just kind of goes goes down the drain. Energy as well. So we, because we're open Tuesday to Saturday, on a Saturday night, we switch off as many things as we can. So that they also have a rest as well. So our, where we keep all of our um, so all the fridges within the kitchen itself, we turn them all off and we put everything into the big walk-in fridge. So all the equipment gets a break as well, which, you know, in terms of longevity of its life is, I think, is, is really significant. Um, so, yeah, and, and I think the menu itself, um, we don't print menus. They're all digital. So that, that allows us the flexibility to change, you know, constantly, um, which also feeds into the you know, the kind of the low waste, the zero waste aspect, but also enables us to very much, one of the benefits of that, which I didn't get before we opened, um, was that it, again, it saves our most precious resource, which is time, people, people and time. So someone, I think we've all 
had those times of fighting with printers um, and that, you know, the time it takes to print things is, is quite vast. So just to be able to eliminate that's been, been huge. Um, and the menu itself is probably, I think looking at our sales stats, we're about 55% um, plant-based and then 19% vegetarian. And then I think 15% meat, 12% seafood perhaps so again kind of really focusing on on the vegetable side of things not eliminating meat because I feel that for everything to to coexist and for the you know the biodiversity in the ecosystem that it's important that we do have um well reared meat um and dairy as part of a you know as part of its own ecosystem it's it's important so that's probably a yeah a smattering of of kind of some of the things that we do to do things differently. It's very interesting you talk about because like lots of times when you talk about changing the world by the way we eat, often people think straight away is extreme veganism. Well, what you're saying as well, which I also believe, if you want to have to move the majority with this consuming meat or dairy, then actually you need to give them better options, and you can't do that by putting a barrier up saying you're not allowed to eat meat actually but then you eat less but better meat yeah and it's just it frustrates me that it becomes so binary so quickly you know meat or no meat it's it's like actually there's space for everything there is space for everything that we can coexist and yes we need to eat more plants 100 percent, but we also need you know we need the animals to fertilize the soil we need to look at how many people are involved in farming in this country it's it's incredible and there's incredible people doing amazing amazing things and you know culture and livelihoods and history would all be you know would all just be turned off if we suddenly said no let's not eat meat anymore um i think it is a it's an important part of an ecosystem and what have you um have you seen since you've you opened the doors what has like been the journey what have you know people have people perceived your philosophy how they're interacting with you uh, what do you see from a restaurant performance point of view it's been really positive um and i still there's parts of me that kind of thinks gosh is this actually happening and working and functioning <laughs> functioning well um i think that i was really mindful of of how we communicate what we do to start with and not wanting to be a martyr about it and not wanting to you know again say this is right this is wrong and the way to do that, I think we still we still analyze how we do it and we still want to find ways of, of being able to communicate better. Um, but and also to respect those people that come for a meal and you know, rather than actually wanting to know more, they just want to sit there and enjoy a meal. So I think sometimes there's that element of of trust and kind of inherent subconscious trust that okay, I don't really want to know anything more about my food, but I'm just really I feel very confident that what I'm eating is, you know, has been well sourced, has been prepared by people that enjoy what they do, are being paid properly for what they do, and everyone in the ecosystem is, you know, is being rewarded. So for me, it's very much about that fine line between how much you say and how much you don't. And I think as I said, we're still we're still trying to find the best way of doing that. And we have people that say to us, oh, we would have liked to have heard more about a certain aspect, you know, after their visit or people that, you know, kind of aren't really interested. So it is, it's very much finding finding that balance. But overall, people that, you know, our feedback is overwhelmingly positive from everyone that visits the restaurant. 
and that is about the ethos but it's also about the you know the team and how amazing they are and that I really want wanted it to be a place that was just very genuine and honest so rather than there being kind of um you know a lot of procedure or processes or that kind of distance between the team and the guests actually for it to be just you know like going to someone's dining room in their house and just sitting down and having a meal to eat that there wasn't that sense of um yeah disconnect really so again just feeling connected with everything that's happening whilst you're dining um pre and post as well so yeah an inclusive experience really and I think that's where the option of the fact that we do have a lot of plant-based options but we also have meat it means that everybody there's something for everybody and I think you don't need to also feel excluded if you don't want a particular thing or you can't have a particular thing you can sit there with you know people that you may know well you may not necessarily know well but everyone can feel relaxed and comfortable within that setting that is again eating together without having the conflict about is there meat or no meat for example it's a very good example so so you mentioned the team again. You mentioned a couple of times. How do you then, you know, because one thing is that you, you want to build it. How do you then build that culture that in principle of bringing your philosophy and vision alive for for the journey? So how do you, how do you go about that? Because I know it's not a straight up answer to that, but that's, so, so what is your, you know, finding your algorithm, I always call it, your cultural algorithm? Yeah, I like that analogy, actually. I think it's, it's it feels very much that it's taken I kind of feel I'm at that point now. And I think if I'd done anything sooner, well everything I had done sooner, I hadn't been able to really define, I guess, that algorithm, as you say. And I think for me now it is very much about being, you know, being honest and being transparent and being open about what what we do and how we do it. And also that we're not there yet. And I think that is the, you know, we're not this look at us, look at us, you know, we're amazing. It's very much about actually, okay, we still have these challenges. How can we find, how can we work hard to find the best way of doing things so that it makes it easier for others? That's probably my ultimate game because I think sometimes, you know, we, we kind of go in circles about what's the best, um, you know, what's the best ingredient to source from, where do we source it from, how do we get it? We constantly find ourselves questioning that so to then say well actually look this is what we found this is what we found is a great alternative or this works really well you know this is there for people to use so I think for me to find that in myself has been a lot of I'd say one of the phrases that I do do use quite quite a lot when I'm I'm doing these kind of talks and things is the process of unlearning being quite significant for me um I think if if I look back on my personal journey within London restaurants and I guess what I was um mandate is probably a, a too strong a word but I, what I was the way I was was taught and the way that I was um advised and told as to how things had to be for me it's been very much a process of of unlearning that and finding actually hold on if we strip all that away what actually is What's a way that I feel most comfortable with as well? Not just what does the world say is, is the right way. Um, because I think we have a lot of, there's a, for me, there's a bit of an issue with us deeming success to be financial. Um, and that's the only 
objective metric we have in some ways, but I think actually there needs to be more to that equation. Um, I think, especially for business as well, because I think if you can look at a business that's financially successful, you can say, okay, great. But then what about the underlying aspects? What's their social, um, you know, social success? What's the, the, the bigger picture? What do they contribute to society? What do they contribute to the planet? So all these things that actually have kind of pretty big standing is as to how to find that metric, which I don't know. Whoever, if anyone finds it, <laughs> please tell me. But I think if you look at, yeah, for me, it was very much unlearning that actually the only metric was financial. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our brand partner, Simply and one of their customers, Goldex Investment Group. They operate Costa Coffee and Caspar's franchises, as well as workspaces. Now it's over to Bod Hemarshandra, their head of operations. The biggest win with Bisimply was freeing up the store manager uh, from the workload they have for the week. Scheduling and payroll plays a, a big part in the business. Obviously, it, it was taking over four hours a week for them before using Excel templates. They have to create the schedule beginning of the week and they'd have to finalize at the end of the week uh, for payroll purposes, which was taking around four hours, like I said. Now, I think with Simply, we managed to reduce it down to 30 minutes or less. All they have to do is just finalize the, the payroll at the end of the week by pressing a button. It's that simple. So it saves us around three and a half hours a week per store. And that's the biggest win we've had uh, with Simply. Well, it's interesting that, uh, you know, when you take a, I call it the cookie cutter model, that this is how you run a restaurant, this is how you build a business. Um, and that's not true. When I've been, you know, on a similar journey where you had to unlearn, it's very interesting you say that. We, we wrote a, a white paper a couple of years ago where it's actually about what it needed to now and the pandemic was saying to us and what the employees were saying to us that, how things has been up to now is not the right way. We need to unlearn some practices. And that doesn't mean everything goes out of the window, but maybe the approach goes out of the window. And actually you need to find a different way of serving that solution. If that's uh, something around how you build your employee culture or how you source your thing, you know, you had to unlearn that. It was gone. It could, you couldn't operate, continue operating on that. I think that's super, super, super interesting. But on that journey as well, you've written a book called Planted which is lots around the, the plant-based food. And it's interesting you say, well, actually meat still needs to be in the, in the, in the ecosystem of thing or else, you know, that's what f feeds biodiversity. Uh, so therefore we need it here. So, but what actually made you to write a book? Because that's quite an adventure because um, I've tried starting a couple myself, not got there yet. And I know everybody I talk with that written a book, it's quite a, a painful process besides running businesses, you know? Yeah, it is. It's it's tricky. I think that's probably that book was probably my. Um, so I had co-authored a number of books before, so it wasn't kind of my first my first show, um, which made it a lot simpler. Um, but I think for me, the reason for wanting to do it was, I think I started cooking a lot more plant based food probably twenty fifteen at Treadwells because I really felt that it was tricky for. You know, this is when, I guess, veganism was becoming a thing. But for me, it was very much about, again, kind of hearing the, the plants. But I guess it, 
it stemmed from the ethos of wanting the restaurant to be inclusive so that, as I mentioned before, if you had, you know, if a family of four and you had two people that were plant-based and two, one that just only ate meat and one that didn't eat fish, you know, you want to be able to go out and actually have an experience that was really enjoyable. No one felt like the odd one out. No one had to ask the, you know, the waiting staff a million questions and to have things with and without and to just take things off dishes. It actually was just a really enjoyable, inclusive way to eat. So that's when I started um, cooking a lot more plant-based food. And I found that there weren't too many resources out there for chefs um, in particular. So I kind of, the more I started to to kind of create these things, I thought actually I should put this in a book so that it is accessible and, and usable um, for chefs and also for, for home cooks as well. So that's where it, that's where it all stemmed from. Do you feel that that vision has moved for you? Well, it doesn't mean it has been your book, because have you actually seen the chefs are now embracing more plant-based food? Because one of the things I've seen to my career is actually often the meat has to be the center or else I can't create a dish. I think that has been the, the kind of the rhetoric for a long time, the narrative, um, and still is for some, some chefs and some operators. But I think that... I guess heralding, harking back to my to my childhood, and I I've always loved vegetables. So I think for me, it's not really a hardship. I'm not trying to take something and think, how can I make this taste good? Because I think it tastes good anyway. So I think if I can just enhance that, um, that's kind of my job. And I think that you know vegetables get a bit of a bad bad rep really because they don't, but we don't we don't give them the same love that we give you know, to meat or fish, for example, because I always, you know, give the example that you would never steam a steak and eat it because it would be disgusting. But we think nothing of doing that to to vegetables like cauliflower and and then we feed them to children and expect them to eat them. We'll say, but why? Um, so I think that, you know, with the mild reaction that happens when you cook meat, you know, the same reaction happens with vegetables. We don't often allow that process to happen uh yeah that, that's super interesting especially also in your, your home cooking what you can do just with a bit of soy sauce and olive oil with your vegetables in a pan that's a it's, it's one of the things i took from 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 the book as well um when i read it so what, what do you if we, we go a bit about away from you know the, the journey the, the mission your business and all the things you're involved in to actually talk a bit about the industry and you, you touched on it before you know we i needed to unlearn a lot of things i've learned in the industry and we have now a huge amount of challenges systemic maybe challenges some of them how, how they impacted you on where you are on the journey right now and, and, and your your day-to-day operation i think touchwood um in terms of, of i think the biggest crisis right now well one of the biggest ones is staffing across the industry um and yeah touchwood we've not had any challenges with that as yet um i'm very mindful that you know it is a bit of a things are quite precarious in terms of the amount of resource you have available within a restaurant so things can shift very quickly um and we have had people come and go but they've all gone for really great reasons as well so for me it's like actually this this ecosystem that brings about change we kind of need to celebrate it rather than freaking out about it in some ways um but i think that you know i think that a lot of 
what we offer is what people want. So, you know, having two, the same two days off per week, having a, one of those days being a weekend, it's a huge draw card. Um, but I think overall it's, it's interesting because I think that there's not enough appreciation of the fact of any industry that works outside that normal Monday to Friday, nine to five. Um, you know, even if you look at all those things that have to happen for, well, that we're, that we're used to and that we take for granted, airports, um, transport hubs, um, the supermarket being open until 10 o'clock at night, you know, those people, there's, that all involves a lot of people. Um, and I don't think it's it's kind of recognised or, or valued as much as it should be. And I think in some ways, that you know, in, in talking about the cost, and I think the true cost of food is not recognised in restaurants, um, the true cost of how that, plate of food got on that table everyone that was involved in that process the you know every little cost and every little um person involved just isn't really understood and i think that is a systemic issue because you know the true cost of, of what that cost to get there isn't being recognized um which obviously trickles down to you know what people are paid as well um and i think that it is one of those things where it kind of, it is a passion. Um, and sometimes it's tricky to balance with with work. So there are a lot of, of, of challenges in that respect. And I think also it's not, um, it's not necessarily seen as a, as a kind of valid career path in, in the UK um, for people to be, you know, working in front of house or, or working as a chef. I think chef more so, but I think front of house needs a lot of, a lot more love because it is the framework that holds it all together. Um, so I think that, and again, this goes back to education and food education and the fact that, you know, I was on a, a talk this morning on a different podcast about how, you know, food education should be as important as maths and, and English and science. Yet it's not. And, you know, for us to be able to feed ourselves, I would argue is probably the most important thing. Um, you know, we can learn how to do additions and maths, things that we need to function on a day-to-day -day basis pretty swiftly. But to learn to cook and nourish yourself, I think is is one of the most important things that we should be we should be teaching everybody. Yeah, and if you don't put the right food in, your learning abilities also really drops down. A hundred percent. And you look at the you know, the, the state of our nation and how obesity and malnutrition are both equally, you know, really big, big, scary problems. Um, and rather than, you know, I guess fixing the source or fixing the true cause, you know, we're just trying to look at kind of sticking plasters and, and things at the other end of the scale rather than saying actually if we could educate and, you know, transform this whole system about teaching people to cook for themselves and what actually is important for their bodies i think we'd be in a in a different place yeah and it goes all the way down to the schools to you know how the food is you know served there as well and we're talking about here hyper processed food would we in general as a society consume way too much because actually we don't know what to do with the vegetables or the meat for that sake uh, when we get in our hands um, i can see and i think that i agree i think there's no there's no actually degree level for food in the school system uh, it doesn't really exist there's a 
where there is for everything else, but there's not for food, um, which also is one of the biggest impacts on climate change uh, overall. So that's a really, really interesting angle. What has been, you know, you know, we talked a bit about the challenges of the industry and, and a bit beyond. Um, what is like, you know, your most significant learning? Because you've been a business owner in, in a very hard time. You launched in a very, very difficult time, not just in the industry, in the world. And I think most people I've met and including myself, like we all have had like some reflection about, okay, unlearn, you said before, like there's something I need to change here. What has been like your biggest reflection and how it's impacted you? I think probably the time that was the biggest reflection for me was COVID. Um, and I think had it not happened, I don't know what I would be doing now, to be honest. Um, because it did, it had a hugely positive impact, although it was incredibly challenging and tough. The, the outcome for me was was probably um, pretty remarkable. I think the first lockdown was the first time in 17 or so years that I'd actually stopped. Um, I hadn't probably had more than, you know, kind of 10 days off in, in that time. Um, so actually just to kind of stop and reconnect with, um, you know, even my local community, my friends that I hadn't seen because I'd become kind of too busy and, you know, even if it's a doorstep chat or a FaceTime and actually then really prioritized what was important. Um, and I think that was when I made the, the, well, the realization kind of, I guess, dawned on me that I needed to stop what I was doing and do something different. Um, so that was probably the most profound kind of point of reflection really. Um, and I guess that's when I realized that this is, that I wanted to open what Opacity now is um and i guess dabbled in the i did a pop-up um in london fields throughout that time mainly because i was just freaking out <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know i had this big huge restaurant in covent garden i had you know more people than i had work for i had so much you know we were using every second table we were only using kind of half the kitchen equipment so i just kind of thought well i need something positive to think about that's going to keep my mind ticking so that's why so that's when I yeah launched the pop-up um which actually yeah I guess was a bit of a precursor to to apricity really and gave me that much needed beacon of light at a time where it was yeah <laughs> it was pretty challenging out there um so I think for me and, and then to be able to open a new place after all of that is was was a huge opportunity because I could all those changes that I wanted to do that I couldn't do when I was stuck within that framework of previous businesses I could do and I kind of set out my stall that that's what I would do from day one and I wouldn't compromise on the things that had made me uncomfortable in the past um so that's why I yeah the five-day week the you know kind of removing that traditional notion of, of service charge um yeah all the things that I kind of thought I don't really feel comfortable and confident with this being able to open a business post pandemic um actually gave me the opportunity to to make all those changes it was about like actually almost the learning as I was listening to it like to go slow to go fast again in front of yeah very much so yeah that's really really interesting um, how do you as a business owner, because even though you have all this purpose, you want to do all the right thing, you need to make hard decisions as well. How do you make them? Because like, there's lots of hard business decisions that has to be made in, in the environment we're in. Yeah, there are a lot of them. Um, I think 
I probably now I I trust my gut a lot more. So I make them more with my my gut. I think I let my my head habits say, and then I kind of go with what feels what feels like the best option. Um, and I probably talk to more people and share the burden of those decisions than I ever have before. That's interesting. The last bit. What what I've changed there, and I'd like sharing. I guess it was the team. Yeah, it is, and just actually involving them in decisions. Whereas before, I kind of thought, no, I need to make that decision. I need to make that hard decision myself because that's my job. Um, whereas now, and that's one of those unlearning things. Is actually, well, if you let that burden, or not even the burden, but the challenge, or the you know, actually there could be some different perspectives that you hadn't thought of. Um, it also just means it feels more comfortable when you have to make those hard decisions that actually, yes, you feel that you've you've got a good opinion base on what that outcome should be and then you work towards towards that outcome. What about, um, you know, how do you then make sure that, you know, as you went a bit slower and then you went fast again, but how do you then make sure that you show up in the best version of yourself every day with the team? Because I guess you indicated a couple of times the importance of that, um, that you can show up as your best version with your five-day week, for example. Absolutely. And I think for me, it's also um, understanding, yeah, the, the challenges and, and what, how I can then show up in my best way. And if it's, if I'm not, you know, if my whole business is based around regeneration, then if I'm not doing that to myself, I'm just completely defeating the purpose. Um, and I think that's been one of my biggest things, <laughs> biggest learning curves is actually, hold on, like having a break is incredibly important. Um, and so one of my things for myself was that I would um, I would take weekends off. Um, after having worked, you know, 16 years of, of working, constantly working weekends, that was my big challenge to myself about this restaurant that I would not work weekends. Um, and I've, yeah, 99% of the time I, I've done it. Um, and again, it's so that I can make sure I've got, you know, I get my creativity and my ideas, are, you know, much, much better when I'm not burdened by either overtiredness or stress or um, having too much on my plate. And I think there's a lot, I want to do and there's a lot I do do that's kind of it's external to the restaurant but it's all that same kind of ethos and for me it's really important that I'm able to do those things because it does it enriches my education it enriches my learning which then can be brought back into the restaurant so it's very much ensuring that I have a good um rounded I guess week and you know every day every week is different um, but ensuring that I'm taking the time to to do those things that are important and allowing myself to learn. Um, so I think sometimes when you do get to a certain stage in a business, you kind of focus on everyone else's learning and, and forget that actually you still need to be able to have that um, that enrichment um, yourself as well. Uh, that's, that's super interesting because actually often, especially when it's your own business, you actually forget to take the time out actually to refresh your own learning, whatever that could be. It could be in the food or business skills or whatever it is. And actually sometimes there's always something you do last in a way. 
uh, and that actually makes your creativity, innovation, and so on. And actually rest, as you say, is probably one of the best meditations you can do because it really unleashes all of that. So I think that that's really well done if you can be on 90%, because I think most business owners, including myself, this is the ongoing struggle, the balance, the temperance, because it's your purpose. It's not, it's not a job, it's your purpose. So how do you turn down your purpose and all the things that need still to be done because the purpose <laughs> yeah. is, is bigger than you. You're never done. I know. Uh, it's so true. Mm. Yeah. It's so interesting how you, I think, and you made it very simple by saying it's the weekends off and it's those two days off that really does it. What is um, like your top advice for, for other leaders out there trying to build a business as a force for good like your own and really trying to be net positive and just profitable? I think it's very much about having, I think being realistic is one of them, is really important, is not being too aspirational. I think having a good amount of aspiration and is important, but you've got to also temper that with what's actually happening in reality and what's possible. Um, I think also just ensuring that you, that there is, I think giving yourself a break sometimes, you know, you can't, you can't be perfect and perfection shouldn't be something that you strive to achieve. You should be able to do as good as, as good as you can. Um, and I think very much involving people in that is really important. Um, and getting the skills around you that you don't have and the experience around you that you don't have to then be able to, you know, have your, as I mentioned before, this, this kind of farm analogy, you've got the right mix of crops, you've got the, you know, the good soil. So really kind of, try and build it from from the ground up rather than from the top down. Um, and actually that ensures it's robust. It ensures it's able to, you know, go with the weather changes that happen. Um, and, yeah, I think also in a way it's not having a destination in mind. I think I don't really have a destination in mind. I just want to make the journey as as fruitful as possible, really, and to be able to to learn as much along the way and to enable others to learn along the way as well. And that's super interesting, uh, touching on that thing. You don't have a destination and you are focusing on how you can improve things right now. It's as much about what I am in control of or we are in control of than what we are not in control of, I guess. Yeah. Very much so. And I think that, you know, the, the, the saying of control what you can, but don't, don't try and control what you can't is, is pretty important. What is the, the one question you wish to have asked you and what would that question be and what would you have answered? I don't know. That's that's a tricky one. Um, perhaps what is the one thing we can everyone can do today to be more um, more focused on, as we say, actually solutions versus what, or trying to look at fixing the problem versus trying to just look at a cure. Mm. And what, what would that one thing be? I would say it is, well, <laughs> there's more than one answer. This is the problem. <laughs> um, I would say, I think, well, as we've mentioned, kind of embrace vegetables and, and just embrace them for their, for their deliciousness, whether it's, you know, using roasting a whole cauliflower, whether it's using some beans instead of to substitute with half of your, your meat. Um, also, I think in terms of yeah, just valuing food more as well, and being really mindful of what you what you waste. And that's not necessarily looking at, 
you know, byproducts of peelings of things. It's actually going a step pre that and just saying how you, you know, your purchasing power is huge. Um, and if you choose to buy, you know, support, again, your support for um, organisations that are doing great things is really important. And whether that's just your local farmer's market or whether it is what's accessible to you and what's what's possible to you. Um, but I think just being conscious that the fact that that does have an impact. Um, the third thing I would say is, and this is just a really personal bugbear, two, two of these things is um, reusable coffee cups. I just, I have such a bugbear with single-use coffee cups, takeaway coffee cups. Um, just get one of those reusable, the Stojo foldable little cups, keep it in, keep it on your person, in your bag, um, and just try, really try and not to use things that are, that don't need to be used. You know, like the plastic bag tax, we all, we all stopped using plastic bags because of 5P. Um, so we could all stop using takeaway coffee cups if we were just a bit more mindful of, of, yeah, the impact of that really. Now, that's a very good question, but again, is that with numbers of layers? Um, <laughs> yeah, too many layers. <laughs> uh, so, where can people find out more about your your work and the team's work and connect with you if they want to ask you any questions? So, our the website, which is apricityrestaurant.com, has what we do at the restaurant. Um, then, my I've got a website which is chantalnicholson.com, which people can also contact me via there. Um, social channels, I mean, Instagram is at chef underscore Chantal, and LinkedIn is a good a good way to connect as well. So any of the above. Great, great. Thank you so much, Chantal, for for coming on the show and sharing your journey, your insights, uh, what you have unlearned, what you are learning right now. And actually, your great advice on how we actually can change the world by the way we eat. Power and energy to you and your team. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate or give a review or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading the right books is key to become a better leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the best books to improve yourself, others and the organization. Find them on hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their socials at bitsimply or bitsimply HQ. You can also email them directly at podcast at bitsimply.com. Thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer from the podcast Collective. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or via my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick.